Welcome to Gateway Church's Sermon of the Week, where our goal is to equip the believer to do the work of the ministry. We hope that you enjoy this week's sermon by the senior leader here at Gateway Church, Pastor Chris Monahan. We're going to go ahead and continue our talk on Colossians. We're in Colossians chapter 3 this week, and uh, we're so glad that you guys are with us this morning. Those of you, let's give it up for our folks online. <laughs> You can tell they're just not happy with you. Let's stay away. Anybody happy for our folks online this morning? Come on, come on. Man, I'll tell you, we're so, um, it's cold out there. But I want to talk uh, this morning, you know, the Lord's really been uh, dealing with, with me about, you know, how we address uh, just some of the practical things in life. And as a pastor, we, you know, we pastor a charismatic church here. How many glad that you're in a charismatic church? All right. <clears throat> James Robinson used to say before he became a charismatic, he used to call them charismatics. Y'all a bunch of charismatics. But we can become overly spiritual sometimes. How many have been to charismatic churches where it was fruity, nutty, and flaky, and that wasn't cereal they were serving? It was a bit strange and a bit odd. And I'm, I'm open to odd and strange. Because God does some pretty strange things. Jesus' first miracle was changing water into wine. Now, most churches have been trying to change it back into water since Jesus did that because they don't understand why he did that. I don't understand why he did that. He operates however he wants to operate. And we have to give him the authority and and the ability to do that. And that's what's great about a move of the Spirit. But we also need to embrace the, the traditions and the, the people that, they, they may not be all, you know, super spiritual, but they're very good at discipline and in life and structure. We need, to, we need to blend both together. Can somebody say amen this morning? And, and this is what I think Paul is addressing here. When you study the book of Colossians, you'll find that it has the highest Christology of any of the other letters. It is, it's a letter written like, this is who Jesus is. We give him the highest praise, the highest place of honor. And I love that about Colossians. But you're going to find that Paul, after declaring all these amazing things about Christ and spirituality and being raised with him and seated with him, he then begins to steer the Colossians back down to planet Earth. Coming to Earth. And he begins to say, okay, but let's deal with some of this stuff that's going on in your own heart, in your own life. You know, the Corinthian church was the most charismatic spiritual church of them all. Paul spent more time with the Corinthian church than he did any other church, but he told them about their church. This is how he would have advertised their church on Facebook. The Corinthian church, where their meetings do more harm than good. Come. That's what he said. And there are churches out there that have become so super spiritual that they now have become a place where they do more harm than good. And that's sad to say. And as your pastor, that will not happen here. <laughs> but Norwell will become a dry well where the spirit's not moving either, my friend. All right, we're going to drink deep. We need professional help. We need the Lord in this place. Does anybody think we need the Lord in this place? If you think tradition is going to carry you, my friend, you're just signed up for the wrong thing. We want the Lord to move. So there is a, 
you're going to see the shift take place in Colossians chapter 3, but he starts it out. And again, remember that these chapter divisions were not there in the original letter. Paul was writing to the Colossian church. He didn't know he was writing the Bible. He just thought he was sending someone some greetings. He didn't put any verse marks or chapter marks, but this is just how we read it. So it says here in Colossians 3, verses 1 through 4, If then you have been raised with Christ, seek the things that are above, where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God. Set your mind on things that are above, not on things that are on earth. For you have died, and your life is hidden with Christ in God. When Christ, who is your life, appears, then you will also appear with him in glory. How many are grateful for the hope that we have about the coming of the Lord? How many are grateful that the position that we have right now is we are seated in heavenly places? You know, there is a place that you get to on a mountaintop where there's no more mosquitoes and there's no more snakes because there is a snake line that when you go up high enough, the line, snakes represent lies, mosquitoes represent torment, we have to go up to that high place. And this is the place that Jesus has purchased for us that we step into. How many are ready to go above the snake line? Amen? We can go there. And this is what Paul's encouraging them to. And that's why the church that you are in right now is Gateway Church, if you didn't know that. And it, we are, our motto is to be full of heaven and down to earth. I love speaking in tongues, but when I meet a new person the first time, I don't greet them in tongues. Just don't do it because it doesn't work. Now, I may prophesy over them, and I may not even use spiritual words, but I may just sense and show them a picture. I feel like the Lord's given me this, this picture for you. You know, 1 Corinthians 14 says, if you pray in tongues, they'll say you're out of your mind, but if you prophesy to them, they'll say God's among you. Now, what do they say about Gateway Church? Probably a little bit of both. And I'm okay with that, but I love that statement. They say, well, God is in your midst. We feel the Lord. We heard from God. Like, that, that word you've given me, and I've given words to political leaders, and, and they tell me, they say, you know, I still look at that. I still have that on my desk. And they're not even believers because prophesy lets them know that God is real. But we have to deal with, and the first thing you can fill in on your worksheet is the heavens and the earth. You know, there's more than one heaven. Heaven's plural in the Bible. You can chew on that for a while. What? Next week's sermon. No, it won't be. But the second thing we, we want to look at today is the spirit and the flesh. Now, as a pastor, what I've found is that many people in the body of Christ, many solid teachers, people that you probably follow, do not teach that you have a part of you called the flesh, the sinful nature. And this is usually we're all in agreement, but it's just the way that you pre it's presented. Now, I don't teach that we have a three-part being. I teach that we have a four-part being. We have a body, a soul, a spirit, and then there's the flesh or the carnal nature. And I want to talk to you about that in this part. And this is what Paul is addressing, that we have to put this area of our life to death I'm smiling, right? We have to put this area, this sinful nature, to death in our life. And it's already dead and buried, but sometimes it wants to come back to life. 
And if I tell you the flesh doesn't exist anymore, you might believe, well, pastor, I don't sin anymore. That's not a good plan. You know, there's teaching out there that they tell you your sins are forgiven past, present, and future. Now, there's some truth to that, though I don't like that concept because if you take that too far, which a lot of churches have, they say, oh, your future sins are forgiven, therefore you don't even need to confess your sins once you commit them anymore. Man, I don't like that. That's not a good plan. Do you understand how what you believe and how you're taught affects how you live? So I don't teach your sins are forgiven past, present, and future because the Bible is not clear on that. I believe that when you sin, that you need to repent, confess it, and ask God to cleanse you from it. I believe if you feel this nature inside of you rising up, if, if your pastor tells you that doesn't, that's not in you anymore, uh, I've seen a lot of people that are in the flesh, and they think it's the Spirit. Oh, that's not, that's not God right there. I'm going to tell you this much. You know, Todd White said this. I love what he said. You squeeze an orange, orange juice should come out. You squeeze a tomato, tomato juice should come out. If you squeeze an orange and tomato juice comes out, that's just weird. If you squeeze a Christian, Christ should come out. If you squeeze a Christian and something else comes out, that's weird. So we have to be aware of what is coming out of us when we're squeezed. I love to study the early church. It's just a, a, I nerd out on some of this, uh, how the early church and they form their, their view of Christ. And I, I love to study early church heresies. Uh, just, it's just enjoyable. I'm actually writing a song right now, and one day I will, I'll, I'll release it, and it's about a guy named Pastor Tick. His first name's Harry. And his wife's name is Luna. We've got a smart bunch here today. I think it's going to be a great song, don't you? Come on, how many of you think you've met Pastor Harry Tick and Luna Tick before? I, I think I know them. <laughs> Polytick is their baby, yeah, I know. That's good. I think, we got, I think we got a number one hit coming here. Is this what church is supposed to be? I'm not sure. Oh, my gosh. So in Revelations, there's this group of heretics called the Nicolaitans. How many ever read about the Nicolaitans before? And Jesus says this to the churches in the book of Revelations. He says, so also, Revelations 2, 15 and 16, you also have some who hold to the teachings of the Nicolaitans. Therefore, repent. If not, I will come to you soon and war against them with the sword of my mouth. So there was this group of people that had risen up and they were influencing other churches. And a lot of people, a lot of scholars believe that this was actually one of the seven deacons that was sent out in Acts chapter 6. 
and that he started his own cult, his own movement that, God, that Jesus said, and he goes on to say, um, yet this I have in Revelations 2.6, you hate, like he was applauding, I believe it was the church of the uh, Ephesians. He said, I applaud this in you that you hate the works of the Nicolaitans. And so there was something that Jesus hated and this is what scholars say about the Nicolaitans. They said they were one of the heretical sects that plagued the churches at Ephesus and Pergamum, according to Revelation. And Irenaeus, Irenaeus is a, an apostle or a, a church father, identifies them as one of the seven, of one of the followers of Nicholas, one of the seven chosen in Acts 6, as a men who lead lives of unrestrained indulgence. Everybody say, unrestrained indulgence. So, what we're teaching here, we're trying to give you a foundation so that you don't end up deceived, because people can be deceived by the way that the Bible is taught. And we have to be honoring and careful. I fear the Lord. You know, I may translate the Bible, but friend, be glad that I pray in tongues when I'm translating the Bible. And I'm also studying ancient manuscripts when I'm reading the Bible. And I also look at and study the top scholars because I don't want to lead anyone astray. Nickel, one of the seven deacons, became uh, leading a cult where they were operating in, in immorality. And what? how did this happen? So I'm going to read this again. It says, I'm going to read something different, actually. The doctrine of the Nicolaitans appears to have been a form of of antinomianism. Everybody say antinomianism. We're, get, we're getting smart here, right? All right, this is usually above my pay grade too. I don't like to throw these big words out. But anti means to be against, and nomia means to be, is, is the word law in the Greek language. So they were anti-law. They were, they were lawless people. And guess what? That this was plaguing the church Jesus hated, he hated this doctrine. He hated this teaching. He, I mean, this, this grieved him so much that he pointed it out. And he said, if you don't get rid of this teaching, I'm going to come and I'm going to be at war against you. You understand? Like, this is serious stuff. It goes on to say that they made the fatal mistake that man can freely partake in sin because the law of God is no longer binding. It held the truth of the gratuitous reckoning of righteousness, but supposed that a mere intellectual belief in this truth had saving power. Let me break that down. There was, a, there was this idea that my spirit was saved by Christ, but I could live in the flesh in any way that I wanted to. Some people have changed the grace of God into a license for sin. And they embrace this idea. And this is what happens in some super spiritual churches because they encounter God. They see things happen. The prophecies are true. They come to pass. But then they all of a sudden think, that means I can do whatever I want and God will still use me. Did you know the gifts of God are irrevocable? That the healings that happen in my life, the prophecies that happen, the amazing preaching that you guys receive every week. Did I say something funny? I don't know. And the humility that I bring to this stage to, to top it all up. 
Those are gifts. You understand? Those are gifts. And I could live an immoral life, and those gifts could still be an activation because God loves me and he loves you. But my life will suddenly come to ruin if I live by the flesh and not by the Spirit. And so will you. It doesn't change just because your gift is amazing. Just because you, you've had healing crusades, you've seen tremendous miracles take place under your ministry, and suddenly you think you can go have an affair with the secretary, and everything's going to be okay. And can I tell you from behind the scenes, I've talked to and heard stories from numbers of healing evangelists, they do exactly that, and the gift still is in operation. And they get confused. They thought, man, I thought after I had an affair with my secretary that I couldn't heal anymore. And they're still coming. The healings are still happening. But sudden destruction soon came. You understand? So as your pastor, I want to make sure that I'm teaching you things that Jesus loves. That Jesus says, I love what you taught. And unfortunately in our society today is that you don't have a lot of Christians that understand they're operating in the flesh instead of in the spirit. I want to teach you how to operate in the spirit and no longer have to operate in the flesh. Paul identifies this in Colossians 3. He says this, put to death. Everybody say, put to death. Sounds kind of violent, doesn't it? Put to death, therefore, whatever is earthly in you. And he goes on to explain those things with passion, impurity, covetousness. And he says this again in Galatians chapter 5. He said, the works of the sinful nature are obvious. But then he lists them all. I think that's so funny. They're obvious, but let me tell you what they are anyway, just in case you don't get it. And he goes through and he says, these are the things that, that are in your earthly nature. And he said, these things, the wrath of God are coming, the anger, the wrath, the malice, the slander, the obscene talk. He says, put those things to death inside of you. Now, your spirit man is saved, but in your soul man, everybody say soul man. Come on, tell your neighbor, I'm a soul man. Right. We have a soul, and that's where the battle is in your soul. And if we, we don't understand that there's another nature sometimes that wants to rise up in us, and we have to put that nature to death. If you're being taught that that nature no longer exists because you are in Christ, hallelujah. You're not, you're not going to understand that, no, my friend, that's the flesh. That wasn't the Lord. How many of here have had the experience before where what you thought was the flesh was, act, what you thought was the spirit was actually the flesh? Have you had that experience before, Right? Well, I thought I was in God there. Oops. And that's okay, because we're putting those things to death. We identify with the death of Jesus when it comes to our fleshly nature. And we have to, we have to identify with his death on a daily basis. Let me, let's take a look at the diagram here, and let me break this down here of how we operate. This is, this is the picture that I like to use. You have what's called a body. This is your body. You have senses. You have sight, sound, touch, smell, and hearing. That's, that's your body. The Greek word is, is the soma. The Greek actually separates between your body and your flesh. Now, a lot of the early church fathers, they messed this up because they 
didn't separate between your body and your flesh. And so what had happened was the things that the, the Jewish believers, they, were, they would celebrate food, celebrate wine, celebrate uh, sex. They were like, these, these are gifts from God that should be celebrated. What happened is, is, is a lot of the early church fathers began to think anything enjoyable of the body needs to be put to death. So they would literally beat their bodies and think, God is pleased with me, I'm putting to death my flesh. There, they, there was actually groups of Christians, the monasteries were full of, of uh, church leaders that would abuse themselves. If Martin Luther was one of the, the top uh, at first, I mean, when he would have a, a lustful thought, he would strip down his clothes and jump in a thorn bush to put his flesh to death. Ouch! Because he didn't separate between the flesh and his body. God doesn't want you beating up your body. He has no pleasure in you beating up your body. That's, that's wicked. That's wrong. That's poor teaching. And what happens is once you understand your body, you celebrate within the boundaries. God gave us sex. I mean, it was the first commandment of God to Adam and Eve. Be fruitful and multiply. Go have sex. He's not against sex. Aren't you glad you're in a church that's not against sex? Okay, I'm saying that on stage. Within boundaries. Within the boundary lines of marriage between a man and a woman. Amen. That's, that's God's gift. And we, we should celebrate sex. We should celebrate you know, food and eating and fellowship. My, my son's a chef. We love to eat and celebrate. It's great, you know. But what happens is, is if we don't make this division, we get in trouble. So then we come to the soul. Now, your soul is where you have emotions, your will, and your mind. A lot of charismatic churches believe that your emotions are always spiritual. If someone's crying, oh, that's the Lord. If someone's laughing, <laughs> that's a demon. Probably. God said don't laugh in church. The soul is, is, is a place that needs to be renewed day by day by the Word of God. By fellowship. When you feed your soul those good things, you grow. You become stronger spiritually. And you make that decision by your will. Your will is, is what you say, I choose today to follow Christ. I choose today to pray. I choose to make those declarations. I choose to turn off this Netflix series that's not helping me at all. And I choose to spend time in the Word today. I choose to worship. These are choices that you make. And your soul is being renewed by those good choices. And this is what God has called us to do. That's how we, we grow. Everyone who has a, a time with the Lord, a devotional time with the Lord every day, it should be your goal. That's my goal for you as a person here coming the gateway. You build yourself up. You develop a relationship with the one who knows you best and loves you most. That's a good word. So that's what your soul is. And then below that, we have our, our spirit man. And this is what happens when you become a Christian. Your spirit man comes alive. He, he, he rises up. And something happens. I mean, how many felt that 
when you came to Jesus, all of a sudden you feel like, whoo, wow, I'm on fire for God. Because what happened is that part of you came to life, and it begins with humility. When we talk about the fruit of the Spirit, the fruit of the Spirit, those nine things, love, joy, peace, we could continue on up to self-control, you access those very, that fruit of the Spirit through humbling yourself and letting Christ be the Lord of your life, letting him be your Savior. Even though the world looks at you like, you're just a fool, I can't believe you believe in that Jesus and you're, you're talking to him, that's really strange. You have to humble yourself and make Jesus Christ the Lord of your life. Then your spirit comes alive and the kingdom of God begins to flow into your soul, out into your body, out into the community. But there's something else that we have to address. And it's called your fleshly man or your sinful nature. And what has to happen here is there's a little, I like to call this a little door here, that what happens when you are living by the Spirit, the Spirit just pushes this door. It's like a revolving door. It just closes up the flesh. And as long as you live by the Spirit, your flesh, man, can't be active. That's beautiful, isn't it? We're not striving. We're not like, here's 10 steps to overcome your flesh. No, there's one step. Live by the Spirit. And the works of the flesh won't be in operation in you anymore. I like to use the example of the epiglottis. I think that's how you say it. When you, when you breathe in, when you breathe in, what happens is your epiglottis will open up your lungs. Let's say these are your lungs. But it will close your stomach so you're not pulling air into your stomach. Amen? And then when you're eating food, the epiglottis will close up your lungs so you don't get a chunk of hot dog or Twinkie down in your lungs. Amen? It closes that side so the food goes down here. But when we're living in the flesh, we are not pleasing God. When we're living in this place of pride, of folly, we're, we're bringing in the kingdom of darkness. And we, we need as a, as a church to recognize that God wants us walking in the spirit. God wants us living in the spirit. He doesn't want us to be living in the flesh. He wants us to be humble and recognize the lordship of Jesus and recognize we need him. Doesn't matter how successful we get, how, how great our track record is, we never stop needing the Lord to guide us and direct us because he's always shifting and always changing. And we have to be willing to let go of whatever he tells us to let go, everything, whether it's our reputation, whether it's our, uh, what we want to do, what we think is right. We have to humble ourselves. And when we are humble, the spirit of God comes upon us. You know, the water always goes to the lowest place. We need to be like water, always going to the lowest place because that's where the Lord is. How many want to be where the Lord is? When, I don't I've been getting attacked a lot more recently. I don't know why, but there just seems to be more attack. And I'll tell you, there's sometimes that I want to respond in the flesh. But what's happening now is I've been, been like whenever someone attacks me, they get on my prayer list and the devil's like, I was supposed I, he was pastor was supposed to go in the flesh when I did that. And he got in the spirit. Ooh, 
And so begin to pray for people that, that begin to pray for those that come against you. Operate in humility. It so frustrates the devil, man. He's just so confused with me. I love, I love it. I love it. Does that make sense to you guys this morning? Um, I talk a lot about this at the horse gate in my teaching on the gates of Nehemiah. And um, I've been rewriting. We have another book coming out on the gates of Nehemiah. Just it goes through it more intensely. And, and that's what I've been studying. But I wanted to just confirm that. Paul says this in Colossians. He says, um, the, and this is number three, truth and lies. Do not lie to one another, seeing that you have put off the old self with its practices and have put on the new self. So the flesh, you're putting that off. You're putting off the pride. You're putting off the anger. You're putting off the, the lust and the things that you know. Are the, and you're putting on the new self, which is in Christ. And this is what Paul says. He's, you know, he says, don't lie to one another. Put off that old self. Put on the new self, which is being renewed in knowledge after the image of its creator. This is what happens. We're renewing our mind through meditation, through reading the word of God, through worshiping. We renew ourselves. And that's your responsibility to renew yourself on a daily basis. What are you putting into your mind? If you want to cook filet mignon and asparagus and baked potatoes, if you don't go to the store and purchase those and fill up your storage base with those items, you can't cook them. It's the same way with the Spirit. If you want to walk in the, the beautiful things of the Spirit, you need to store those things inside of you. You need to purchase them with your time. And you understand what I'm saying? You, you get those inside. They're stored up in you. Then you can give them out. You can hand them out because they're inside of you. So there are lies that we have to battle and deal with. And number four... Finally, here, um, we get into what we call the rock and the sand. And Paul is addressing these things. He says that, um, put on then as God's chosen ones, holy and beloved, compassionate hearts. We're in Colossians 3, 12 through 15. Kindness, humility, meekness, and patience, bearing with one another. And if one has a complaint against uh, another, forgiving each other as the Lord has forgiven you, you must also forgive. Every day, the first thing I do when I pray, I pray at the sheep gate. It's the gate of forgiveness. I think about everyone that's offended me within the last 24 hours. And you may not think that, you know, I mean, people may not be doing evil, terrible things to you, but just those little things. Anybody, anybody experience? I know you're more spiritual than I am, but some of you might want to just, just the little things that are bothering you. And I always say, Lord, I do. I, I forgive this church for not admitting that they didn't have anything to forgive. You know what I'm saying? Like, it's just little things. No, but you know what I mean? Like, making sure my heart is pure so the next time I see that person, I'm not holding any unforgiveness. Did you know that God says, Chris, I will forgive you the way you forgive others. If, if I'm a great forgiver, God's going to be a great forgiver with me. If you choose not to forgive... God won't forgive you. And there's Christians in hell today because they haven't forgiven. You can say amen or ouch. I'm just going to be honest with you. That's what the Bible says. If you don't, I mean, we pray it in the Lord's Prayer. Lord, forgive me as I forgive others. Ouch. I want complete forgiveness. How about you? Complete, thorough forgiveness. I choose to forgive and I stay out of the flesh. And I, I love what the Lord's doing 
as I've, I've been very intentional about, oh, Lord, I don't want to be in the flesh. And I'm not perfect at this, but I'm getting better at it. Aren't I, honey? I'm getting better. Okay. Whew. All right. Taking you out afterwards, baby. We're going. But work, really work being intentional. Like, Lord, I don't want to be in the flesh. Because you can feel that knocking sometimes, can't you? And sometimes the people closest to us are the triggers. That's why we have ancient past ministry. You know, and we can identify those triggers. Why does this person trigger me? Because there's other stuff that's hidden inside of you that you just hasn't, God hasn't uncovered yet. And these, these are tools that will help you. He goes on to say um, that um, in verse 15, and above all, put on love, which binds everything together, and let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts, to which you indeed were called in one body, and be thankful. Peace is a weapon of war. Last year, I learned how to walk in peace regardless of the circumstances. I was intentional about staying in that place of peace and letting peace crush chaos even in the circumstances around me. Because there was a lot of chaos the Lord called me to walk into. You know, I was in the hospital and, the, and the, the doctor said, you broke your back. I said, let the peace of God reign in me right now. Lord, whatever happens, me and you are walking through this together. I would tell Deb, whatever happens... We're walking through this together, honey. God, let the peace of God. And I had peace even though I was in the midst of chaos. So peace is this powerful weapon to roll that, that lives inside of us that crushes those anxious situations that are around us. And it's something that we, are, we identify, we work on. He goes on to say, let the word of Christ dwell in you ritually teaching and admonishing one another in all wisdom, singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs with thankfulness to God uh, in your hearts to God. So you're praising God, you're worshiping God, you're spending time thanking Him for His goodness, and people are going to think you're crazy. But I'd rather be sane and have people think I'm crazy than go crazy and have them all think I'm sane. I get, we're getting through this, aren't we? But it does take that determination that we're going to live a heavenly life. But we have to do these practical things as well. Jesus said this. We talk about the rock in the sand. What are you building your life on? Everyone who hears my teaching and applies it to his life can be a, compared to a wise man who built his house on an unshakable foundation. But everyone who hears my teaching and does not apply it to his life can be a, compared to a foolish man who built his house on sand. When it rained, it rained, and the floods came, and the winds and waves beating up upon the house, and it collapsed, and it was swept away. What are the two different things about these houses? The way one person built their house, the material that one person used on their house, on the other one, was it the curtains? Was it the internet? Was it the roof? What was it? It was the foundation on what it was built on. So as a Christian... We tell people, and I tell people all the time, I'm not favored because of my good looks or my education. It's the, it's the foundation that I've built my house on. And if you, doesn't matter who you are today, doesn't matter what, what your past is, if you choose to build your house on the rock, you're going to stand through the storms that we're all going to face in life. But if you choose to build your house on sand, you're going to fall, and your house is going to be swept away. That's, that's how it's going to work. Doesn't, if I start taking my house off the foundation of the rock 
and built it on sand, my house will fall. So it's about learning. These are the foundational truths. And Paul addresses these. Number one, he says, wives, submit to your husbands as is fitting to the Lord. There's an order that God has in marriage. And it's a beautiful thing. It's not this harsh, mean. You know, again, we have to teach these principles. There's a flow that happens in marriage. It's a beautiful thing. Bible goes on to say to husbands, love your wives and don't be harsh with them. There's a principle that the husband has to learn how to love his wife. I am working, I'm very intentional about loving my wife. Even the things I don't really like about her sometimes, I'm learning to love, right? Does that make sense? I don't know if it makes sense, but it works. I'm like, oh God, I don't know if I like that, but Lord, I love her. So, okay, we learn to love. We're learning how to cherish our wives and it makes life easier. She's, she can submit to me a lot easier when I'm loving. Amen? I mean, I'm, it's a mutual beneficial relationship here. And it says, don't be harsh with your wife. Don't be harsh with your spouse. And that's, that's something in my own heart. I had to really work through. I'm like, Chris, you're too harsh. You've got to be sweeter and more loving. And, you know, I'm a very, I can be just very driven task, get things done. And tasks don't need you to be nice to them. You know, if the shovel needles do it, we're going to get it done. That doesn't work in relationships. And so I had to learn how to not be harsh with my wife, even with my children. It says this, children, obey your parents in everything, for this is pleasing to the Lord. You see how that order is? You tell your children, man, God will bless you when you're obedient to your parents. Even if your parents aren't doing everything right, God will bless you and honor your life if you, if you honor your parents. Number four, he says, fathers, don't, do not provoke your children. Don't be too harsh on your children. Don't provoke them to wrath. This is how a lot of children become overwhelmed, discouraged with the church because they, they feel like it, they're too harsh or they're, they're provoking them. I'm not saying we abandon truth. Absolutely not. But we can do it in a way that's encouraging to them and says, rise up into your call and step into that place and walk in this place of encouragement. Amen? Aren't you glad that, that there, are, there are principles that have been placed here in Scripture? And the last one, he says, slaves, obey in everything. Those who are um, your earthly masters, not by the way of eye service as people pleasers, but with the sincerity of heart, fearing the Lord. You know, in this word slaves, it should be better worded bond servants. Back then, if you didn't have any money, you, could, you would sell yourself to someone to work for them, and they would consider you a bond servant. And that's how, that's how the Roman culture, the Greek culture operated. But the Bible is 100% against anyone who is kidnapped and brought into slavery. It's 100%. The Bible speaks out against those things. So when we read these things in Scripture, you might want to say servants or those who are being employed. How are you working right now for your boss? Are you being a person of integrity and not just working hard when they're looking at you, but working hard behind the scenes and having the best in mind? Amen? So today, uh, as we close, remember, we have to choose between what foundation we're going to build our lives on, what tools we are going to use, and we're not going to live according to the flesh, but we're going to live by the Spirit. Colossians 3.20 says this, in whatever you do, do in word, in word or deed, do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. Amen. Let's stand together as we close. Let's give God a shout of praise.
Thank you, Jesus. Thank you for what you're doing in this place. Lord, just take that into our hearts and just allow it to come alive inside of us. Lord, we give you permission when we're in the flesh to set us free. Because you said, he who the Son set free is free indeed. So, Lord, we do. We just repent from the flesh inside of our lives. Anything that separates us from your peace, Lord, anything that we're holding on to, Father, that separates us from you, set us free today, Lord. Set us free that we could worship you in truth and in spirit. Lord, that it would be contagious in our families, that it would be contagious in our work. Lord, wherever we go, the freedom that we carry, the freedom that we have in Christ today, that we are carriers of the freedom of Christ. Lord, let us impact everyone around us. And we just thank you. And we worship you. And we praise you because you are the Lamb of God that takes away the sin of the world. And you are worthy. You are worthy to receive our praise. Thank you for listening to Gateway Church's Sermon of the Week. Make sure to follow us on whatever platform you're listening to this on. And for more information, videos, sermons, or events, check out our website at igateway.org. Thank you and have a blessed week.